Songhezo Mapepe on SAFM. All right. I call this session the SAFM Viewpoint Discussion between Songhezo Mapepe, the moderator, and the retired Deputy Chief Justice, Dihang Mosoneke. The listeners are urged to pay attention and unlike the Constitutional Court, are encouraged to ask questions. My name is Siavuya Mabeka. Please enjoy the show. Well, good evening, Judge. Well, uh, good evening, Songezo, Mr. Mabeka. Lovely introduction. I was trying to get you on the big screen and somehow I'm struggling. We'll because care, I was going to be very colorful today. This is my last major interview on the book. Well, you've chosen yeah. the most appropriate platform. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Judge, I'm going to get straight into it. We really are short on time. Transformative adjudication in post-apartheid South Africa. Taking okay. stock after a decade, this is now in 2006 at a conference Law and Transformative Justice in Post-Apartheid South Africa. Patrick Osode, Dean of the University of Forte's Law Faculty at the time, had organized it. This is what you said. It is a matter of very special significance that the University of Forte hosts this conference. Although we are now in East London, I know that in effect I am at Forte University. That means that I have to take my shoes off because I stand on holy ground. I stand on the shrine of the struggle for a free, open, and just and caring society. I do not exaggerate when I say that of all places of higher learning that come to mind in this country, Forte University is historically the ultimate gestation site of the high notions of a just society so amply enunciated and entrenched in our constitution. That is some compliment, especially given that you have a special friend, the late Justice Tembile Squeyia, who would soon be invested as the Chancellor, a deep friend of yours. Yes, indeed. Um, and thank you for starting there, Songhezo. Only today I had a webinar with the law faculty of Fortier. So this comes as a happy, happy coincidence. Um, we have not always given the full and proper due to Fort Hare, the due it properly deserves. If you think just how many of our grades have emerged from that, that well of wisdom, of training, and of conscientizing our people to strive for a more just society. And as fate would have it, I ended up on the same bench as Justice Tembile Square, and may his soul rest in peace. And who was to become the chancellor of that university and inaugurated in my presence? I was there as a guest. So yes, Forte is a special place, and I was pleased and privileged to write a piece for that university on transformative adjudication. 
Let's get right into it again, because that was just a nice preface and entry point. Um, it's not nearly as controversial as perhaps some of the questions we might have to field from the listeners may be. For the record, for those who have just joined us, I am in conversation with retired Deputy Chief Justice Ndadetikang Moseneke. He's sitting in his lovely home looking very colorful in orange, not quite the robes we are used to in him, ordinarily in green. Judge, the Judicial Services Commission. It should be a pain in many respects for South Africans, especially those who have a relationship with the law. I mentioned the name Nkola Mutata. I might then go on to mention the name Judge President Shope of the Western Cape High Court sat sitting in Cape Town. And with that, I can't not mention the name Justices Ngabinde now retired and Justice Jafta still serving on the court. And I asked that question in relation to that paper that I had referred to in 2006. This is what you had said in relation to the centrality of judicial function. Open quote. Because separation of power has the effect of dispersing and apportioning public power, it creates checks and balances appropriate in a democracy. It subjects all exercise of public power to forensic review by an independent judiciary. And yet it does not permit unwarranted judicial incursion into the domain of parliament or the executive. In the essence of separation of powers, it is an antidote for tyranny and abuse of power. Therefore, when the separation of powers principle operates optimally, there should be no trespass by the judiciary into the domain of the legislature or by the legislature into the area set aside for judicial function. Equally, it is not permissible for the, ex- for the executive to exercise powers other than those conferred on it by the Constitution. That's a high demand, isn't it? Justice? It is. Uh, once we bound ourselves to act within the precincts of the law, then you have to ask the question, what is the law? And part of it was the scheme that we brought into being in 1994 was to deconcentrate power. Whether or not we succeeded in practice is a thing we can debate in a moment. But the scheme was that you would have, in broad outline, those who make the law and those who would implement it, being the executive, and those who would blow the whistle. Those who would say whether or not the law made or implemented has been done so within the boundaries which have been set by higher law, the Constitution. So... It really requires discipline from all sides. Everybody must be disciplined. And in fact, in the book, you'll see, we'll get to that in a moment. I don't want to. Mm. I show you how once the climate in the country changed, so did the nature, the genre of the cases that came before the court. So we have to observe our, our powers. Judges can't be here to be saying they want to decide on the budget. How dare they? They can't be here to say they want to run police force. They can't be here to be saying that they, in other words, they want the purse and the sword. But they can be here to be saying, we'll make orders and the orders will be observed. That's how we divide public power. Judge, I want to play you a clip now in your voice. Let's listen to it and I have a follow-up question on that. You must promise to defend fearlessly the independence of the judiciary, the rule of law, and more importantly, the full realization of the basic rights our Constitution 
force our people, and particularly excluded, marginalized, and vulnerable. You will be very much, you will be very much part of the transformation enterprise. It's not something out there, it's something what our nation is about. We have to move from the awful spaces to better places. You will be part of the democratic project to make our country reflect the text and the living spirit of our constitution. Fidelity to oath of office is important, not because we are important, but because without it, not us, but our people will suffer. Judge, that is you on the 20th of May, a charge to your colleagues on the bench at the Concord, but it speaks to every presiding officer in judicial function. But we know what happened in May, in April, May 2008, anything but consistent with what you said. And there is one word that for the longest time has hogged the headlines. John Trope. Yes, well, you want to go there, don't you? And we are going to go there. Let's just do that. Look, <clears throat> there was a change. There was contestation that has set in within the ruling elite. That contestation translated into a whole range of cases. And I take time, as you know, in all rise to describe those cases. And one of the, the sad moments for me in the career, and I've just become... Deputy Chief Justice, not long there. Um, cases were before us, and they related to warrants of arrest that related to one Jacob Zuma then, who subsequently became our president. And, and the allegation came to me and passed Langa, who was chief and as Deputy Chief, that in fact there'd been an attempt to interfere with the decision-making of the court. And these were reported, of course, by Justices Gabinda and Justices Strop and uh, Jafda. We formulated a complaint and thought there was an invasion, a severe invasion into individual um, independence of each judge, but also institutional challenge. If, if the two were tainted at all, it would taint the rest of the, of the deliberations. That complaint made 12 years ago has still not been adjudicated and it's hanging around pretty much like, you know, a very foul uh, air that is hanging around unduly. Now, remember that I make the point in all rise and I've made it, as you just read in that piece, judges have a higher duty than average citizen. Judges have to keep their noses pretty clean and well wiped off. Judges have an ethical code which they must follow. And should they fail, there should be consequences. And, and the notion that judges are never um, above reproach is one that is dead long time ago. So I hope that something will come out of it. But I write it all out for you in the book. You do. And I say to the reader, this is what it is. And you make you be the judge. You decide whether we were mad in making the complaint or was it a good complaint. 
We'll carry on after the break. Justice Dikhang Moseneke, retired Deputy Chief Justice of the Constitutional Court of South Africa 2021. It's time for an ad break. After the break, Judge, I'm not going away. I'm going to probe this JSC matter with a couple of quotations from the book. Law students and South Africans are certainly worthy of some judicial explanation in terms of, or rather, answering this question. Is the judiciary incapable of holding itself to account? Who holds the keys to that? A question after the break. SMS SAFM now on 41391. Call Songez or now 0891-104-207. 011-714-2006. That's the number for our lines this evening. I beg your pardon for that. I repeat nonetheless, 011-714-2006. We are taking your calls. Justice Dikang Moseneke, acting, acting, goodness gracious, retired Deputy Chief Justice of the Constitutional Court of South Africa. His words on the 20th of May read, I am my own liberator. Our people are their own liberators. In the last instance, the people are the bedrock of our democracy. It is they who matter, and we as institutions that wield public power, like courts, are in their service. Page 304 of the book, now in discussion, All Rise, released earlier this year. Judge, specifically as it pertains to this matter we were talking just before we took an ad break, a judge president visits a sitting judge and discusses a live matter and utters words to the effect, whatever that might have meant. The one judge who hears these words, who has to write on this, or at least deliberate on it, is uncomfortable and knows that there's a similar meeting with a colleague of his from the same person is so uncomfortable to go and warn that person that that person who had visited him, Judge Shlope to Justice Ngabinda, that is, might say something to that effect. Both of them are uncomfortable, and they reported to colleagues, ostensibly on the basis of some impropriety or influence or overreach, whatever you call it. It is taken to conference among the judges and decided there this matter is reportable on the basis of improper conduct. 2008 it goes to the JSC the very people who were uncomfortable about such meetings no longer want to participate in making statements to the JSC many court cases later here we are the matter is not resolved why should those individuals have their careers tarnished that way if really there is nothing there the alternative is why should the judiciary be hamstrung as it has been? Because a hamstrung judiciary is me and you and everybody else who hears hamstrung. One has to give. Well, something has to give. I write about it. I, I, I spend a whole long chapter on it to give you the facts and to let you know exactly what happened. And I get all that out. I, I give you a list of cases that went up and down the courts, uh, from the lowest to the highest, on these issues, whether procedural or otherwise. But the consequence is that there has been no verdict on the matter. Now, we judges are the ones, of course, who are in the forefront of the notion that justice delayed is just as well justice denied. 
we're the ones who talk about prompt justice, but also open and so on. So I make the point in the book that no, the judiciary has not covered itself in glory. I'm not going to judge, and you're trying to invite me to judge about the specific facts of this specific case. And I explain in the book that I am a witness. The hearing was supposed to happen now. It has been postponed again. And I got a note that says, sorry, that is postponed. Some of the complainants, think about Justice Madala. May he rest in peace, Mm. has passed on. Think about Justice Squaya. May he again rest in peace, he has passed on. Think about Chief Justice Langa. He too has passed on. So you can see people who really had a deep quest to have the matter resolved. It hasn't happened. And no judiciary, and that's why there's a strong chapter in the book, no judiciary can ever, ever be proud of our track record. Um, Justice Matata's case took 10, 12 years to just that long. Now, judges are masters, of course, of procedure. They deal with it every day. So they may very well find it much easier to to run rings around it because they know it so well and extend and stretch out things. And sadly, the law that meant to castigate and to discipline judges is a weak law passed by parliament, is riddled with contradictions and allows extended processes as we've seen up to now. Sadly, no hearing yet. The one which was supposed to be now in October has been postponed, I'm told, sometime in November. Let's wait and see if there'll be a hearing then. Let's wait and see indeed. Deputy Chief Justice Dekang Moseneke on air. We will put that matter to bed now because I think essentially we're talking about matters that are subjudicated and I'll respect the court process and the personalities involved. It's 29 past. We have just over, what, 10, 12 minutes with the justice. No questions. I'm happy with that because I can have this conversation indefinitely. But if you so may be moved, 011-714-2006 is indeed the number to dial. We're speaking, of course, about the book that he has just recently released, All Rise, a judicial memoir by the author himself, Justice Dikhang Mosenega. Judge, let's talk about Let's talk about law reform, specifically in South Africa, as it pertains to the changing dispensation. You spend a lot of time on that in the book. In fact, you are one of the protagonists in the writing, ultimately, and conclusion of the Constitution. Without specifically talking about whether or not the Constitution is serving its function, as South Africans perhaps might think otherwise now, could it have been perhaps and this is not an indictment on any party per se, but just a function of the time and the and the reality of the situation that a lot of some of the apartheid institutions, be it law, be it cultures within the judiciary, remained long into the democratic project and perhaps might have stifled the progress otherwise, which was the promise of the constitution. For instance, you did have a, a conversation with us in relation to the question whether apartheid judges ought to have been altogether a new force 
to go through some form of judicial training, some form of constitutionalization, as was being discussed at CODESA and multi-party negotiating forum, as opposed to what seemingly was the seamless transition from apartheid to now defenders of the constitution. Oh, yes, the tension was inevitable and it was there. That's the Constitution was trying to do. That's basically create an entirely new source of law. Sorry, Judge. May I please, law so, sorry, Judge. May I please interrupt you? I'm having very, very, I'm having difficulty hearing you. Can I just take a quick ad break while we try and speak to you off air just to confirm exactly where the problem is? I beg your pardon for that. Okay. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 104.6 FM in Twane. Songhezo Mapepe on SAFM. I recognize that you're present on the lines, the KGM, but with your indulgence, please, let me just give the justice an opportunity to reply to the question that I had asked. And it was in relation to the judges who were presiding in the apartheid regime and their seemingly seamless transition into the democratic dispensation. A question perhaps might still yet be made in relation to how the early jurisprudence might have been influenced by judges who themselves at heart were not even there. Your response, please, Judge. Yes, indeed. I mean, the book tries to make that point and continuously take you through that that history. The tension was obvious. Um, we superimposed a brand new court on top of the court system, but then we had we did not have judges basically to change the judiciary overnight. Let me give an idea. You know, in 1994, um, 98% of the judiciary was white, white males. There was one woman charge. What does that mean? Which really meant that the party was essentially a, a male, white, centric kind of power arrangement. So it's really white males who really pushed the law, who made the decisions. We come in 1994, we introduce new jurisprudence, essentially new sources of law, and we give a, a bit of a breather, a new life to the common law and indigenous law provided that they are consistent with the Constitution. Now, that was a big change. And I asked the question in the book, shouldn't they have gone, shouldn't they have gone to the TRC? Shouldn't they have gone to some process that purges an apartheid past? Shouldn't they perhaps have been re-sworn in? You remember, I make that point. Yes. And the whole reason was, inevitably, there's going to be a clash of culture. As we saw, it emerged. In the book, I show you how some of the judges of the past made rulings like you reach the Constitution as a matter of default, only when the common law cannot cover the space. What you are doing when you do that, you actually invert the prism. You actually make the common law to be the dominant feature of our law, and the Constitution is reached only as a matter of default if the common law cannot get there. And that jurisprudence, remember that when we came, we reversed most of it. And the book shows you how. Even tried and tested uh, campaigners like Sydney Kentridge would make that error and see the common law almost like a weed, I'm sorry, the, the constitutional law as a weed that encroaches on the wonderful common law. And I make the point, of course, that the common law is an imposition, a colonial imposition and that we should allow it to exist only to the extent 
that it complies with our needs, our urgent needs for a transformed, equalized, free, and socially just society. So it is, it is just one of the crutches we have, but it's not the ergo at fonts, it's not the beginning and the end of our law. Mm. It's one of those that we preserved in 1994. But a starting point for those of us who are serious about a changed society must be the values of the Constitution. Imperfect as the Constitution is, mm-hmm. it's the opposite end of, of colonialism and apartheid, for sure. Two things I wish to follow up on that. The name Sidney Kentridge, and I would imagine the name Johann Stein can be spoken of in similar light and vein in relation to some of the persons, unfortunately, the South African judiciary could potentially have had, but nonetheless lost. Let's talk to KGM, who is somewhere in the Republic, probably in Pretoria. Chief, Deputy Chief Justice is on the line. Good evening, KGM. You know what to do with time. Good evening, Songe. So, Deputy Justice Moseneke. Deputy Chief Justice, I'm just going to be brief with three uh, questions or clarifications that I'm going to humbly request from you. I'm making uh, assertions that, one, our biggest conundrum came from the concessions, so-called sunset clauses, and also the non-disclosure to the nation of what really transpired at Cordesa. I would like your your comment on that. The second part is this. The the current status quo, let's take, for instance, the the, the Zondo Commission as it is known. With, with somebody like you who is, has been there through and through, how does it make you feel in terms of the, the conundrums that we have, legal conundrums that is, which, which disadvantages us as a country to get to the bottom of the truth? And lastly, I am of the view that Ramosenege is one of the most underrated, and I'm not buying your face, one of the most underrated and deliberately right. ignored uh, judges. I, I still want to hear your view as to how do you feel that you were nabbed so many times from the, the position of Chief Justice? Thank you so much. Ra? Let me start with the third question, which is the easy of the Lord. Look, we, we, get, we, get, we get tied up in, in knots about positions. Of course, I would have wanted to be Chief Justice. It would have been nice. It would have been a you know, rags to riches kind of story, you know, from prisoner to chief justice. We'd have made it a nice book, but that's really not what it is about. If you remember that, um, <clears throat> somebody suggested that I probably played a much more effective role as, as a deputy chief justice than as a chief justice, and that I got all the space and the time and the opportunity to write. You see, Constitution chose to give the president the power to choose the chief justice and to tell the JSC who it will be. Remember, the rest of the judges are chosen directly by the JSC, but the chief justice and the deputy are chosen by, are fingered by the president. The president was entitled to choose the people he chose, not once, not twice, but three times. He had the opportunity to appoint me, and he did not. And I think that is fine. I think it's what's under the bridge 
and I think it's it's something that I I there's that beautiful phrase in Tsonga where they say mintiro ya bulabula. It's what we do and our dedication to goodness that matters more than just titles. And and I say that in the book a few times. When we come to the current look, our institutions have been hollowed out. So we need we must admit the fact that we did not have an effective police force. We did not have an effective SIU. We did not have an effective Scorpion, whatever they call themselves now, because over a period of time, these institutions were brought to their knees. As a judge, I can tell you, and I've said that in other instances, for 15 years I sat on the court. I never had one case of uh, <clears throat> financial mismanagement or absence of property, or if you like, corruption. Never had a case like that, and the courts generally did not have cases like that, okay? So accept that our institutions have become weak, and the Zondo Commission will, will have quite a challenge. And lastly, I think the sunset clause can be quite a long discussion, and time is going to run out now. I'm not ducking it. Someday when there's time, I want to talk more about it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Deputy Chief Justice. Let's take a short ad break now before we look to wrap the show again. O double one seven one four two thousand and six. Final chance after the break. Song is on my baby on SAFM. Chief Justice, it was a wonderful experience to work with you. And I hope that I was there to provide you with joint and supportive leadership of our judiciary. I said last night that despite a past and comfortable encounter, we have found each other. This, of course, was in May 2015. Quite the turnaround from how things might have started at the JSC interview where the presiding officer of the JSC then said, if you listen, you might hear, to which the candidate sitting answering questions replied and said, you don't have to be sarcastic, sir. Quite a frisky start, but what a bromance in the end. Oh, yes. I mean, um, the maturity comes in. Um, for me, the terms are uncomplicated. We would find each other if we shared the common mantra. It is not what the ruling elite wants. It is not what pleases those who rule us. It is what is what the law permits, what is in the interests of the people. And therefore, once we had made common cause that our primary function is to serve the people, then there had to be peace. Because remember, this was not a dogfight for a job. I had made up my mind and I had said before the interview that I would not contest the job. If the president wouldn't give it to me, that is fine, I wouldn't have it. So no, in the end, Chief Justice Mokweng and I found a common platform and we betted on the same side. That's what I wanted, what he wanted. And in fact, we were castigated together. Remember that then the tide turned and he was attacked in part of, uh, by a large. So it, it, this is responsibility. The judiciary was at stake. It was not personal glory. 
I say in the book, if you want glory, you go somewhere else, not to the judiciary. You want money, you go and find it somewhere else. But there is plain slogan service. And once we had agreed on that, we're on the same side. And I had in my retirement 2016, I had to wish him well and to to hope that he he will keep the faith. Wonderful words, wonderful words from Justice Mosenegger talking about his brother as they call themselves on the bench. Let's go to Albert, final caller in Tubatze. Hello. Please speak, Albert. Hello. Albert, Hello. you can hear you. Please speak. Good evening, sir. How are you? How are you? Uh, good evening. I'm well. Good, good, evening. good evening to you. I don't have any yeah. question. Just to appreciate the role that you played in this country. I don't have any question. I just want to appreciate and thank you very much for the role you played in this country. As you correctly said, we are there for everybody to see. Thank you so much, Albert. You did wonderfully well for this country. Thank you very much. Thanks, thanks, Albert. Your Thanks response, Judge? I'm grateful, Albert, for those kind words. It's not always pleasant and easy, but yeah, here we are. Uh, Judge, final question, if time permits. Um, the white community within the judiciary or the white lawyers within the anti-apartheid movement, some of them couldn't stick around or some of them didn't stick around what was the united kingdom's gain was south africa's loss i mean sir Sidney kendridge 97 queen's council still miling he's late now but he assented to our constitutional court equivalent i'm talking about the late johann stein how might things have been had we retained some of the skill that was lost? Of course, we're talking about the fact that, I mean, you could have been a doctor, right? But providence came through. The losses of apartheid in relation to law, of course, insurmountable, but a word or two, surely. Yes, uh, the loss was great as people and good people found their way in different directions. So, too, those were not as celebrated as Johann Stein or Lord Stein, if you want, or Sydney Kentridge QC. Some went just as exiles, as I tell you about Morogoro, and uh, some left to go and find greener pastures. So yes, apartheid was debilitating. It was horrible. It made us lose many people. But then we shouldn't moan too much when I saw Gezo. Only today I had a webinar with a law school um, the University of, of Northwest. And one of the ladies wrote to me and said, you know, Justice Musineke, my father was a traffic cop for 35 years. And your aunt didn't want you to be a traffic cop. You may have been a good traffic cop. So yes, you lose people as things mutate and change. But uh, here we are. The sky hasn't fallen. We've produced very good charges of our own in this country. And one of them I'm talking to, and I've had the pleasure to, in 2014, the whole of my young 2014 career at the Constitutional Court to walk alongside and have quite easily one of the most memorable experiences, corridor chat, not in conference, not talking about matters, but just talking about life, the young and old. Thank you so much, Justice Mosenegger. Much appreciated your time. For those who have not brought the book, it's this conversation and then some. Goodbye, Judge. And Goska Kulu, the Abulela Songezo, 
I'm most grateful, and it's time for the elderly to go to bed now. And thanks for <laughs> releasing me so timelessly. Good night. Good night indeed. Deputy Chief Justice Dekhang Mosenenghe, author of All Rise. Let's take a night break before we go to Verity Host Capital.